0: Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue examination of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode 57, entitled, The Sins of Our Fathers, in which I'll be examining issue number 50. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. Before we dive into this episode, just like always, we are going to cover our creative team. Our writer is Chris Claremont, enjoy him because in five issues, he's going to be leaving the title. It was supposed to be temporary, and it becomes permanent. Louise Simonson takes over for him. Louise Simonson, I enjoy her. There's complaints by some about her writing. And when it, we get to her taking over the title, we'll talk a little bit about why I think those complaints exist. But for now, let's forge ahead. Penciler. Well, a regular penciler at this time in these this run of issues is Jackson Geis. He's done issue 40 through 42, 44 through 48, and obviously now 50, with a few guest artists and fill-ins in between. This is his last issue with the title. He'll be replaced in about four issues by Brett Blevins. There'll be four other artists filling in between those two, but that's that's the big thing to know right now. Now we have a guest inker on the, this issue, and his name is John Beatty. He's done inking, according to my internet resources, uh, for about 20 years. So that's pretty much his niche in comics. He's an inker. I now, having done this podcast, have a greater respect for inkers than I probably ever have in my life. Um, I used to think they were just people that traced lines, but inkers really have the ability to really change the images on the page. The penciler draws these beautiful pictures, right? Somebody comes and just outlines them, but it's how they outline them, right? Is it a thick line? Is it a thin line? What does that convey? Is that conveying motion? Is it not? What does that do for that image? Those are some of the things to think about. Now, I've also found for myself, if I find an artist I really enjoy, who isn't inking their own work. If I see multiple inkers over time, like over a course of five issue runs, say, with the same art, with same pencils, but different inkers over that time period, sometimes their art shifts and changes. It looks different, just depending on who's inking the book. Inkers really have a lot of say in what the final product on the page is. So I think they deserve some credit. That's just my opinion. Others may disagree. As far as John Beatty is concerned, he got his start when Bob McCloud asked him to assist him with some work. That's how he really got his foot in the door and, and really started his comic career. Um, we have colorist, Glennis Oliver, and letterer, Orzecheski, and Blue Hollis. Editor in, is Anne Nacenti and editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. Pretty much the usual suspects on this title. This issue opens, and we find Ileana. On this very first page, she's on the splash page, and we see that she's in limbo. She has her soul sword out. She's sitting. She looks tired, and parts of her body are covered by that silver eldritch armor. And what's going on is when Ileana to rescue her friends and warlock from Magus, teleported Magus to limbo, he began to infect limbo with the transmode virus. The demons are rising up against Ileana. They're trying to kill her, trying to take Limbo back from her. So she's fighting for her life. She's exhausted. She doesn't know how long she can keep this up. You know, and how long has this been going on? It could be an eternity because time has really no meaning in Limbo. In the fighting, she is touched by one of those demons that's been infected. Sure enough, her body starts to be infected by the transmute virus. Well, she slashes her leg, where she was touched, with her soul sword. And it purges the contagion from her body. But at the same time, more eldritch armor begins to coat her body. And she's wondering, like, what happens when my body's completely encased in this? What will happen to me? But she really doesn't have time to ponder this thought for long because... She's confronted by Sim, her one-time right-hand demon. When she took over the throne, Sim answered to her. Sim no longer is willing to answer to her. He's not taking her directions anymore. In fact, he is the leader of this rebellion. He was infected by the virus, just like the other demons, and is now more of a puppet of Magus. Sim believes if he can just take out Iliana, Limbo will be his. He'll be the ruler. Ileana tries to point out that that's not likely to happen because Magus can't be trusted. All this is kind of irrelevant. They don't really even get to a confrontation because Ileana's going to jam her soul sword into Limbo. In doing so, she is flung across the galaxy to parts unknown. There's just some really good stuff here. So let's take some time and kind of pull it apart. First is Iliana's Eldritch Armor. It is depicted inconsistently covering different parts of her body throughout the entire series. Why is that a problem? Well, one, Marvel is about continuity. That is one of the great things about Marvel. It's one of the great things about X-Men. It's one of the great things about New Mutants. And it's one of the great things about Claremont's writing is there's so much continuity. I personally enjoy that. So it's important that artwork be consistent throughout these issues, in my opinion. I would also argue that because comics are a visual medium, it's really important that the art is consistent. And this is a failing. This is a flaw in this particular issue and other issues where it hasn't been depicted consistently. So it's confusing one for the reader. And unless Claremont writes, hey, this is what's happening... We don't know that there's a difference because it's not consistent. That's really the only issue I have here. The other part is really more of an interesting note. Now, there's this exchange between Sim and, and Ileana. And Sim is talking about how Ileana should follow Blasco flee limbo and refers to Blasco as her father. Now, Ileana retorts that Blasco is certainly not her father, but neither is her dad. Her dad's not much of a father either. The only person in her life that she could consider father-like is Xavier. Ileana sees Xavier as more of a father figure because she hardly knows her father. All of her formative life experiences have happened either in Limbo or with the X-Men. Not with her own family. Excluding her brother, I guess. It's always been Xavier who's helped guide her through this. It was either Xavier or Blasco. So, Sim's comment that Blasco's like a father is... Only true in that Lasco helped to form Iliana. The Iliana that we see depicted on the page, of pages of New Mutants is the creation, is the formation of Belasco's intent. Like, this is what he wanted. He created Iliana's dark side. He fostered her dark side. He withheld in the magics, the light magic from her. He, he did everything he could to foster her in his own likeness, right? Xavier has helped her navigate the struggles of transitioning from her time in Limbo to her time with the New Mutants. Helped her navigate some of the difficulties she's faced. So she sees Xavier in a in a light that is father-like because he, in a lot of ways, rescued her from the hellscape that was Limbo. He's helped protect her and given her a home that's safe and healthy and not fucked up like Limbo was. So that's where she sees Xavier in such a kind light. But that's no different from any of her other teammates. A lot of her teammates see Xavier as a father figure. So that's not that odd. But one of the things I think is interesting is to compare Blasco and what he did to Liana and Xavier and what he did to other mutants, what Xavier's done over his time as the headmaster of, as, uh, of the Xavier Institute at the School of Higher Learning and time as the leader of the X-Men. So, Glasgow, he kidnapped Elena. He corrupted her soul. He influenced her in the arts of black magic, helped teach her that, guided her through this stuff, treated her horribly, abused her, and there's heavy connotation in the miniseries ...that shows Ileana's time in Limbo. Magic and uh, Storm is the miniseries, four-part. I covered it earlier in the podcast, way back, earlier episodes. It is heavily suggested that Ileana is sexually assaulted in Limbo. And it's probably Sim who's doing this at the past of Blasco. So... He has treated her horribly. She's lucky to have survived and escaped. Why compare Blasco and Xavier? The comparison's made because there are some similarities between the two characters. Let's examine Blasco. So Blasco, he kidnaps Ileana. He raises her in limbo, corrupts her soul. He teaches her black magic for his own purposes. He withholds other knowledges of, of lighter magics and white magic, um... He's abusive towards her. It's heavily suggested in the miniseries um, Magic and Storm that Belasco has Sim sexually assaulting her at times. Ileana suffered greatly. So how can I compare that to Xavier? So Xavier, when we look at his relationship, especially to the original five, we see some correlation. When Jean joins the school, Xavier, who is supposed to be her teacher, her, the headmaster of the school, her parental figure at the school, the authority figure, he is immediately attracted to her. He's lusting after her. He's thinking about her. He's wishing he could walk, because if he could walk, then Jean would be his. Like, this is the thoughts that are going through his head. So we know that's occurring. We know that he limits her ability to really explore and utilize her powers, because he's fearful that she won't be able to control them. So he puts limits on her powers. That's not what he does with the New Mutants but that's what he does to Jean Grey. We see instances where he's faking his death. Whether it's for the like, greater story or not, like that's what happens on the page. His character is judged by the actions he takes. And that's, you know, he fakes his death, tricking his students. His students believe that he's dead. That's traumatic stuff. From there only, for some of them, especially Scott, that's his father figure. His dad's dead. He doesn't even know if he's got a family. When when we first meet him, Scott's alone. and And Xavier's... Kind of been his savior. And Xavier's grooming him to lead the team, right? Like there's some sort of parental teacher relationship that's special, and Xavier's constantly ignoring that to a large degree. We see Xavier's relationship with Gabriel Haller, David Haller's mother, is super problematic. She was not talking, she had suffered some trauma, great trauma, and Xavier takes that moment, he's attracted to her, and and he manipulates her using his telepathy, and and they end up having an inappropriate relationship. He uses his powers to manipulate people all the time. These are things that are not something who is responsibly using their abilities, and is a good parental figure, and a good teacher, should be doing So why is it different for the why Why do the new mutants see him differently? I would argue it's because the X-Men are not, they're not students. They're not there to learn how to control their abilities, to live in society, and to adapt to the world around them so that they can be safe and function normally. That was not their purpose. Their purpose is to combat mutant threats, to bridge the gap between humans and mutants, to be an example, to set an example to protect humanity, like their their sole purpose is is combative, and so if that's their role, it's not like Xavier's there to be their parent. He's 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 molding them into something that he a tool, an instrument for him to use. The new mutants he's taken under his wing for the sole purpose of providing them guidance and education so that they can better themselves and adjust to the world around them, so that they don't have their powers manifest and interrupt their lives and destroy the lives of people around them right like he's making it so they can potentially if they choose blend into society that's what he's he's offering those students so in that regard whether you agree with blending with humanity or not is a good thing he is more of a teacher and more of a guiding figure and more of a parental figure than he has ever been to any of the other x-men i think it's really important to remember wise words spoken by Kitty Pride. Professor Xavier is a jerk on a fringe world in the middle of the galactic nowhere. The narration to describe this planet out in the middle of the galaxy is perfect. Like Claremont does such a great job here. I really, really like the narration describing this world. But there's this, this line. He says, it's a nice enough place. We're going to come to find out that this place is actually not that nice. It's full of slave traders, looks like bounty hunters. It's kind of a hive of scum and villainy, if you will. Anyways, on this world, we find the Starjammers. And with the Starjammers are Liliandra Le- and Xavier, Charles Xavier. So he's not dead. He survived. They were able to ret- save his life. And he's been running around kind of as a fugitive with his girlfriend with the renegade star jammers, led by Coser. Now, they're here on this planet looking for help. They need to repair their starship, get supplies, refuel, all that kind of jazz. And so they go into this bar, Munden's Bar. And this is from a comic published outside of Marvel, Grim Jack. This bar is central to that series. Now, Grim Jack is actually Hagger in this comic. It's the same, like, character design. And that's Crozer's contact in the bar. Now, there's so many, so many, so many cameos. It's unreal. Um Micronauts show up here. And the reason they're drawn in here is because, one, they look alien. But they're also a series that was formerly being drawn by none other than Jackson Geis. And we have Arcturus, Ran, Marionette, Fireflight, Year, and Bug. Those for sure I, I can pull up, pick out of the crowd We also see Herculoids from an old Saturday morning cartoon from the 60s. We see Gloop and Glop. They're both like these blob characters. Uh, Tundro, who's like this hybrid Triceratops thing. And Igu, who is a big muscular rock Goliath thing. Tundro could also be a Droog, a Hulk villain. But it's probably Tundro. And then finally, the last call out is on Xavier's uh, flight suit that he's wearing. We see the patch for the Nostrum, which is the ship from Aliens. So there's a ton of cameos uh, to pick out of this. And there might be more. I, I don't know if I've caught them all, because there's some characters that aren't well-defined, but they look like they have enough definition, they might be something. So, hey, listeners, if you know some other cameos and can pick them out, please send them my way. I'd love to know all the characters that we have been treated to. So anyway, they're here trying to complete their mission, repair their ship, and get on their way. Because they're fugitives, remember? Xavier all of a sudden senses something. Something he's never felt before, but very familiar. And it turns out it's Ileana. They run to the slave trade quarters, and sure enough, she's up on the auction block. This scene's a little odd. Ileana's really, her character suffers some pretty blatant sexualization in this issue. The slave trader, trying to bring her under control, zaps her with this beam, and it pretty much forces her to orgasm into like submission. It's kind of fucked up. We then see after in her underwires running around aboard the Starjammer. So, she's super sexualized in this comic. Nevertheless, Xavier and his fellow compatriots, the Starjammers, they they successfully rescue Iliana and they get aboard the Starjammer and they they hightail it. It should be noted too that this is Xavier's First appearance since X-Men 203. It's been quite a while since the team, as far as the New Mutants and Xavier, have been reunited. We are really getting the band back together. And Claremont's taking this opportunity to really tie up some loose threads, some some hanging storylines that hadn't been addressed for a while. So, as he's wont to do in these uh, milestone issues... He likes to have a grand story and really kind of clean up around the edges. And we're seeing that here. Following the rescue of Ileana, everyone's beamed back aboard the Starjammer. And things are tense, kind of. You know, the deal with Haggard may have fallen through. And the Starjammer, the ship, it's really the only thing that's keeping these fugitives out ahead of bounty hunters and the Shi'ar Empire. They're on the run with Leandra, who is no longer the ruler of the Shier Empire. Her sister is now. So things are not great, but they did rescue Ileana. They get her some medical attention, and and this gave Claremont a great opportunity for a lot of just loose ends, nodding up some loose ends. We've got uh, just this great exchange that happens while they're eating dinner. Ileana's talking about just talking. I mean, she's just talking, just filling air. You can tell she's probably nervous, excited, anxious, scared, right? And She's around people that she knows, and that's probably exciting as well. So she is talking just nonstop. She ends up telling everyone about Scott Summers, uh, Cyclops' son. Corsair is his father. And Corsair finds out through Liana that he's a grandfather. Claremont must have figured, remembered at some point that he's never given this child, that no one's given this child a name. So Ileana makes light of this, saying it's a state secret. (laughs) The child's name's a state secret, because no one knows it. Claremont's kind of poking fun at himself and other writers, uh, probably Simonson, because neither of them have named Scott's son yet. We also have this exchange about the Mets are doing well. They're, They're leading their division, and they're miles ahead of everybody. And Ileana hopes they win the World Series. Corsair doesn't know who they are. Now, for some, this is problematic, because... It just doesn't fit like the Mets would have been a team before people have argued that the Mets would have been a team before Corsair is pulled into space. I mean it's comics. It's it's not like these issues when they came out line up necessarily with the time in the comics. So, you know, I, I would argue that, you know, it's Claremont knows what the timeline is better than I do, and so I will uh I'll give him this one. And then Ileana fills him in about the mutant massacre. Because Charles Xavier, he's curious. He wants to know how Magneto's doing as headmaster. And she tells him not, it's not great. Things aren't great. About the mutant massacre. How the new mutants, they were told to stay behind and wait. But they were concerned about so many things. And they didn't want to let their friends and family suffer. Or have them do all the dirty work. And so one, they went and looked for Shane's, Shane Man's siblings. Talks about the trap, talks about going to the the Morlock tunnels and finding all the Morlocks wiped out by the Marauders. And she talks about running into Magus and how they fled through time and space and how horrible that was. And how the team got split up. She doesn't know how to help them. And Limbo's overrun by Magus. And how scared she is. During all of this, it's discovered that, hey, Xavier can read Ileana's mind. Well, that's never been a thing before. Ever since she's come back from Limbo, with her demonic sorceress powers and half-corrupted soul, she's not, Xavier can't read her thoughts. He hasn't been able to access them. She's been blocked. And that's how it's been for every telepath. So now Xavier can read us her thoughts, and what they kind of figure out is that when she jammed her sword into limbo and used all her power to purge it of the transmode virus, and she was flung through time and space, this was her separating herself from her demonic part of her soul. So it's as if the dark side and the light side were split, and this is just her light side, her goodness, her innocence. And the dark side remains in limbo. You know, Ileana, she voiced, she mentions how she kind of wishes she could stay this way. But at the same time, like, that's a wish that she has to please everyone else. Her brother would like that if, if she was this, this was who she was. If she didn't have the magic and the dark powers and this dark, corrupt part of her soul. But without her magic, she feels empty. She doesn't feel like she's alive. So she'd give up everything she is. Just to please her brother, just to please other people. And this is kind of the crux of Ileana. She is willing to be whoever, and I've talked about this before, she is willing to be whoever people she cares about wants her to be. She's taking that role on. She's, for her brother Peter Rasputin, Colossus, she is his little snowflake. For her teammates, she is the, you know, really hard edge, sometimes mysterious, sometimes almost villainous magic wielder and teleporter very brash and confident and for others she is a scared child and those are personas she just slips in and out of with ease really are her and i would argue that even this dark child persona that she has when when she uses her magic in limbo isn't really even all of iliana i don't think she has come fully to terms with that yet with what happened to her uh she was traumatized in limbo She's still suffering that trauma. She, you know, aged almost seven years in limbo in a matter of seconds for everyone else that knew her. So she went from being a child to a teenager in a blink of an eye. And yes, she had experienced time in limbo, but in isolation amongst demons. Like, she doesn't know how to be a human among humans. And so that's kind of the tragedy of Ileana in my opinion. She is a great character because of this. And she does definitely have this ability to fake it until she makes it in a lot of instances. But she is definitely not whole, not complete, and not fully defined in terms of her own view of who she is. She doesn't have the confidence to be who she is. And even if she did have the confidence, I don't know that she's fully fleshed out who she is, at least as much of a, as a teenager can flesh that out. But I digress. So with this discussion and finding out that the new units are scattered across time and space, Xavier wants to save them. And this is something that Leandra is afraid of. She's afraid that with the students showing up with Ileana, uh, with Ileana's arrival, she's going to lose him to his real passion, which is these kids. And she can't go with him to Earth. That's suggested when she's talking with Binary But she's not. she can't. She's got responsibilities to the Shi'ar Empire. She has to regain the throne. And so they both have their duties and they'll both do that. They'll both do their jobs. Anyways, Xavier is going to go with Ileana and take a few other people to, to Limbo. And then from there they'll go gather the new mutants. That's the plan. Cosair is not certain. He thinks this could be a mistake. We might not be here when you come back. What if, what if this doesn't work? She's not that great at uh, utilizing her powers. Xavier's going to help her, obviously. For me, it's just like, isn't the whole thing that, like, even if after they teleport to Limbo, if when Xavier and everybody with Ileana teleport to Limbo, if the Star Jam were to leave, Ileana could just teleport them back to time just after they left. Like it wouldn't, it's not relevant because she can teleport through time and space. So the idea that the Star Jammer might not be there isn't really that big of a problem when your teleportation abilities, you have the ability to manipulate time and space in the way that Ileana does. Either way, that's the plan. Limbo. Ileana has teleported Xavier, Binary, and Leandra with her to the realm. And the first thing they notice is the striking beauty of it. It has been cleansed clean of the dark magic. When Ileana stabbed her soul sword into the ground, it purged it. And Ileana tells everybody this is what Limbo should have been prior to Blasco's corruption by the dark arts. They don't have very long to really enjoy this scene because they're attacked by Sim. Uh Sim appears out of nowhere and just assaults them. Binary, she blasts him, but of course this plasma burst only provides him more power. And he's going to try to take out Xavier. Well, Ileana draws her sword sword from the ground to defend Xavier, to ward off Sim. And in doing so, we see her transformation towards this... More dark t- childlike uh, manifestation. We see the red horns. We see her dressed in this red cloak and bodysuit. And then she has the eldritch armor that appears on parts of her body. Xavier notices she's accepted this. She's taken on this burden in an effort to save him is a self-sacrifice is what he, is what he's thinking about when he sees her do this. Now she fights with Sim and then not very successfully. He's able to pretty much dodge her strikes, split himself in half before she can even strike him with the soul sword. He ends up fleeing, but not after mocking her and really saying he's going to take her out. There's nothing she can do. She can't use her magic or her soul sword because if she does, he will grow more powerful. He will take over more of limbo every time she does that and eventually she won't have any power the more of limbo he takes the less power she has and once it's gone once he has control of limbo once magus has control of limbo he'll be able to wipe iliana out and without a problem and he he leaves he vanishes iliana's struggling with what to do she wants to go after him she wants to finish sim off once and for all but she also knows that her friends need help and that She's the one who can teleport them to her friends. She's the one who can regather her team. And so she asks Xavier what she should do. And he doesn't have the answer. It's up to her. And the group is fearful that Ileana might leave them. But she does choose to... Ileana does choose to gather her team to go after her friends. The rescue party's first stop is Earth 87050. Before they arrive, we we get a glimpse of what's happening. And, And the newbie... That are trapped here. Warlock, Cypher, Mirage, and Cannonball. They're awaiting this re-education that they were threatened with in the last issue. And for me, this is where I really enjoy geiss He would have been fun to see working on the last issue. And and my big reason is this, this holding cell, the new mutants are in. It's so bright, the lines are so simple and clean. And this really to me speaks to the difference so much so between Downtown and uptown. And this is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of small, simple details that I would really liked at the end of the last issue. These simple, clean lines, this gleaming grandeur, this, this bright light, this elevated sense, these grand scenes through these, these glass windows of majestic views up the skyways, that to me speaks of the sheer privilege and elevation that the mutants have and how really separate these two societies really have become. So I really enjoy that and I I find that to be perfect for showing that difference. So Bass does great work on these couple pages. Of course, Roberto and Amara show up. And they get into an exchange, you know, with the New Mutants. Danny points out that this is what he is suggesting, that, that once they are taught, re-educated, they'll see that this is the perfect outcome. This is the only outcome. And Danny says, of course that's what you're going to say. That's the same thing that the government told her people when they made treaties and took their land. And it didn't turn out too well for the Native Americans. And Cypher just is like, you know, why can't you just let us make our own decision? And that's when Ileana teleports in with Binary, Leandra, and, and Charles Xavier. And Xavier finishes the thought. He points out that it's not you learning to accept the society that's important. It is the, the outcome. It is you being indoctrinated into their view. That's what's important. And all of Roberto's justifications and rationalizations, they don't really mean anything. And of course, Amara and Roberto are shocked to see him. Roberto defends his ground to Xavier. He says, you were killed here and we did the best we could. This is the only outcome there was. We didn't have time to fight for a dream because things were so bad. And Xavier simply says, you know, that's when the dream's the most important. That's when you have to stand up for, for that because there's no other reason. That's, that's the whole point. And they leave. having rescued their teammates. We are teleported to Manhattan. It's the same place, but it's definitely a different time or a different future. They locate the remaining new mutants, Roberto, Karma, Amara, and Wolfbane. They're facing off against Sentinels. And thankfully, their teammates have arrived because they uh, helped them destroy the Sentinels and they regroup. The band's back together now, but there's some mistrust going on here because if we remember, Roberto and his teammates that were split up in this future, they met the future versions of Sam and Danny, and they were hard-bitten. They are hardened in that they were the only survivors. The rest of the X-Men and New Mutants had been massacred, and they were fighting to save themselves, to save this world from the Sentinels. They were definitely hard-bitten warriors, and Roberto's Not sure how to relate to his comrades from his present. Likewise, Cannonball and Danny, especially Danny, is really questioning what they should do about Roberto. Can they trust Roberto? The future they were in, Roberto was a dictator. He had done horrible things to people, to humans in general, and had turned on them. So she doesn't know if she can trust him. They don't have a lot of time to really contemplate these issues because more Sentinels are on their way. And Ileana's decision is, let's teleport everybody back to the safety of the Star Jammer. But guess what? It's not safe on the Star Jammer because there's explosions everywhere. Magus has found the starjammer and is destroying the planet that the ship was hiding on. Magus is here to wipe out Warlock, to destroy Warlock, and kill off anyone that's helped him. This is the concluding act of the Magus saga, and... The best part about this is really almost the entire New Mutants team is engaged in a role to defeat Magus here. Magma, she transforms to a living lava form and through sheer will of her powers, somewhat possibly augmented by Xavier, but she holds together the planet long enough for them to defeat Magus. Iliana Cannonball, they kind of support and distract. They work to really help their teammates get their parts of their job done. The plan ultimately is devised by Cypher though how they're going to defeat him and Mirage and Karma both use their abilities to help with this. Mirage creates a image of Warlock to distract Magus while Karma possesses him and holds him in place kind of pauses him. Roberto is going to be used as backup and also a support to protect Doug and Warlock as they try to do their mission. Now, just prior to Roberto having a role in this whole thing, he's really upset because he hasn't had a chance to help and he doesn't see how his ability to knock down a wall is going to be any help in defeating Magus, who can destroy planets. And Xavier speaks to him. Xavier says, Not everyone in a team is essential to resolve every conflict, lad. You've done your part in the past and no doubt will again patience is what he needs is what Xavier tells him and Roberto he thinks to himself you speak as a father should my real father almost never does though I would give my soul to have him do so so it's just great like we just keep getting these Claremont just keeps battering us with these examples of where Xavier is really stepped into the role of a father figure for these students, for almost all of them. Now, Doug's plan ultimately is that he's gonna merge with Warlock and together they're going to attempt to reprogram Magus's and revert him to a child form. And they succeed in doing this, only really through the help from their friends, but again, Cypher saves the day. His plan has saved the day. These are catastrophic events. These are like world-ending, in some instances, events. And Cypher again steps up to the plate. He is an integral part of this team, and I know a lot of people don't like his character. It's not, his, his abilities are not combat-based. They don't easily translate. But this is now the second or third time where Cypher has stepped in and done something that none of his other teammates would have been able to do. He is integral to this team, and and, and I enjoy his character quite a bit. I think Cypher's well written and, and really just a great character overall. I enjoy him. When I was younger, I used to think he was a stupid character, but as I've aged, I really have come to enjoy him. Anyways, everything's resolved. People are really happy. We still have Danny, who's kind of, and she is really still stuck on this idea of these future events and how can this team work? to prevent the outcomes they witnessed in these alternate timelines. Now Warlock, after everything's resolved, he takes a moment and he embraces Xavier. He he thanks his friends for having taught him so much and he requests from Xavier the right to call him his father and Xavier is more than happy to indulge that. And that's kind of the end of this issue. That's that, well, that's not kind of, that is the end of this issue. That's the wrapping up of this mega saga. And Claremont has beautifully tied up a lot of knots. He's got some other new hanging threads, plot threads, that some of which he'll never get to. Marvel had totally intended to have this great mutant war, it's never going to come to fruition. We also see the laying of the groundwork for inferno. I mean this is the these events are going to affect Iliana this from here forward like the writing is in a lot of ways on the wall. is not going to last long. It's the beginning of the end of Iliana. We've already established that if Iliana uses her soul sword or her magic, this is going to allow Sim to gain more and more control of limbo. And do you think for a moment she is going to go forward without having to use her abilities, her her magic and her soul sword. This is setting up some big story arcs, one of which I already said the mutant war is never gonna come to fruition, but Inferno does. And that's gonna have long range consequences for the X Men and the new mutants. So that's the that's the end of the saga here. It's well done. I really enjoy it. And having gone back over it, I like it all the more. You know, I think Claremont masterfully weaves these stories together. I think of the two futures we see, the first issue 48 is the weakest. It's just the retread of days of future past, but Earth 87050 is brilliant. I mean, I I really think that is a fantastic creation. It's the only example up to this time of an alternate timeline where the mutants have succeeded and, and have control of Earth and have bettered their position. Yes, at the cost of humanity, but, like, that's an interesting thought, too. So, just really well done. And Geiss, you know, he's hit or miss for me. I think some of his background work is fantastic. I think, you know, I think there's a splash page of Magus that is absolutely brilliant in the center of this. It's so perfect and beautiful and wonderful. Like, it is stunning. His Magus, to me, is amazing. I love the way he draws Magus. I think he's fantastic because Magus looks like he is something that is similar to that demon bear, like foreboding and unsurmountable. And he conveys that, I think, very well. There's some issues, I think, with the way he lays out his pages, some of the gutters. Like he splits some pages, some panels with a gutter and there's almost no, no rhyme or reason to it. I don't understand why it was split unless it's to convey distance like separation. Maybe there's a difference in time, but like I don't, like it just doesn't come across. And the one example is when they're in Munden's bar and is addressing Haggard and we have Leandra and Xavier at the bar and there's two separate conversations going on. And the the gutter comes down between the panel and in the middle of that panel, what is split is two of the Micronauts. So we see (laughs) parts of their body in each panel. So like it just doesn't convey for me separation of time and certainly does not convey any separation of space. The only thing that I can read into that is that time is different. So like the stretching out of time in the bar, like they've been there a while. That's the only thing that comes to mind to explain that. And there's another instance too. So there's a couple of places where gutters, I just don't, they don't, I don't understand. I just don't get it. But all in all, fantastic issue, really a great double-sized, issue like I think for a celebratory issue this fiftieth issue this double size is fantastic and uh kudos to Clarema and Geis and the creative team here because it's it's a great story they've put put on the page here. James explores the new Mutants, as is always recorded in Des Moines, Iowa. It is produced by myself using the Anchor app and Audacity Software. New episodes are published every other Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available you can reach the podcast on twitter at explore new mutant or via email at exploring the new mutants at gmail.com visual companions to the episodes are available on facebook and instagram simply by searching james explores the new mutants another really great way to reach the podcast is by going to the anchor website and recording a message that is sent directly to me. They're minute-long messages. I can add them to the episodes or just answer questions. Uh, simple, easy way to get in contact with me. I hope you enjoyed today's episodes. Two weeks from today, we'll start a new adventure as we jump into The New Mutants, issue 51. Until then, keep reading those comics.